Welcome everyone to the second edition of the Customers First Coalition Electric Wire podcast. I am Kristen Jilks. I'll be your co-host for this episode. I'm joined by Jane McCurry of Renew Wisconsin as a co-host today. Thank you, Jane, for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Last week we focused on solar energy and this week we're talking about electric vehicles, which is really exciting to me because I've been an electric vehicle owner for over three years now. Um, We own a Nissan LEAF and I was very excited to have Jane as a co-host because she is also um, an electric vehicle driver in addition to being the program manager for electric vehicles at Renew Wisconsin. So let's get started right away. Jane, can you just talk to us a little bit about your role at Renew and what your experience has been for the last seven months of being an electric vehicle driver? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm the electric vehicles program manager at Renew Wisconsin. Um, Renew is a nonprofit that promotes all forms of renewable energy. I started about a year and a half ago at Renew to really kickstart our transportation work, um, thinking holistically about how the state of Wisconsin uses energy. It makes a lot of sense to include transportation in that conversation. Um, so I really I lead our, our policy work and education work and also um, collaboration and coalition work to really promote electric vehicles across the state and make sure that we are preparing our communities Um, and our residents for an electric vehicle future. I was thinking back on three years ago when my husband and I decided to get an electric vehicle. And many people know this, my husband is a conservative guy. um, And let me tell you, he watches budgets closely. And so when I first suggested getting an electric vehicle, and I'm noting it was to replace his (laughs) F-150, he did the math and he was cool with it. Electric vehicles are about half as much to fuel Mm -hmm. as a gasoline-fired vehicle. You're not paying for oil changes, and uh, right now there are federal incentives, but the costs of, the upfront costs of EVs has come down so much that even without those type of incentives, they're becoming much more economical, especially with the longer range, this is becoming a viable option for people. And once you're experiencing kind of the ease of driving, not having to stop at the gas station, being able to plug in at home, it doesn't take a lot of selling, but I think that people still have these kind of like questions. What is the experience gonna be like? Do I need to buy something for my garage? I know when we went to the dealership, I asked, I mean, can we just drive home with this thing? Do we need, you know, can I just drive home and plug it in when I get home and I don't need anything special? And he was like, absolutely, you can do that. But sometimes I think in this policy debate, people have a lot of questions. There's, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns, but I think we're here to start answering some of those questions. And also, since we dive into a lot of energy policy at Customers First Coalition, this podcast is gonna focus on some of those bigger picture policies that regulators look at when we're talking about EVs more broadly. When I was thinking about getting an electric vehicle, I actually thought back to when I was a kid and we would go to my grandparents' house. They lived on a farm, they didn't have a garage and the car would always be plugged in, the battery would be plugged in in the winter because otherwise it wouldn't start. 
And I thought that the car ran on electricity. And I, I mean, it was, it actually, when I thought of getting an electric vehicle, it just took me back to that. And it was, it was nostalgic feeling. And I think it's really cool now that I can tell my daughter when we drive by a wind farm that that is literally powering our vehicle. And it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good for future generations that as utilities transition their fleets to rely more heavily on renewables, um, the environmental benefits of electric vehicles will just keep getting better. Yeah, I think that's a great point about the environmental benefits of an electric vehicle. It's the only car that you can drive that runs on renewable energy. You know, and a, a, a gas engine can be really efficient, but the only thing that you can put into it is a fossil fuel. So if you're interested in renewable energy, an electric vehicle is really the only option. One of the things that made me laugh so hard when we first got our EV, we drove up next to a Prius and my husband said, hey, you dirty polluter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had to laugh. Um, so I mean, funny. there are still um, emissions that EVs are responsible for mm-hmm. um, just because of, of the generation mix today. Yeah. But as I mentioned, as we switch to more renewable energy, that environmental profile just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, and even today in Wisconsin, the emissions equivalent of an electric car is close to a 50 mile per gallon gas car. So, you know, it's still the, the better option when you compare it to most vehicle models on the market. Mm-hmm. I love your story about nostalgia and, and how that played into your vehicle choice. Uh, I grew up in Detroit, and I actually am, uh, Henry Ford is one of my ancestors, so I'm really tied into the automotive industry, and everyone in my family has worked in transportation, Um, so I feel a a large nostalgia to the automotive industry and transportation in general, and so it's really exciting to be working on this next front um, in the transportation industry, and hopefully, you know, this revolution is um, better for the environment, it's more sustainable, it's more equitable. Um, and so I think that nostalgia is really important as we look toward vehicle choices and what that means for our lives. And EVs are just fun to drive. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? There's just really good pickup, they're quiet, they don't smell, you can start it in the garage mm-hmm. and your garage isn't filled with um, whatever that is. Toxic <laughs> Yes, right? Um, and yeah, so it's it's really... I would I would choose an electric vehicle over a gasoline fired vehicle now at this point even if there weren't the other benefits. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, I bought a car. Uh, I bought a Tesla Model Three in July, so I've had it for about seven months now. Um, I've driven seventeen thousand miles since then. So oh I've my put goodness! A ton of miles, That's all electric miles on the car. Um, I've gotten everywhere I needed to go. I like you said I did the cost calculations and I figured out it cost me about $70 a month um, on top of what I was paying for my previous vehicle to drive electric. And that's really because I swapped out an older used car for an almost brand new kind of top of the line luxury car. And so $70 a month to me is totally worth it to drive a car that's super fun and fast and the latest technology. Mm -hmm. And I also have really enjoyed driving my electric car in the winter uh, because you can heat it up, turn the heated seats on, it gets warm really fast. Um, you know, sometimes there are rumors that electric cars don't work very well in the winter, and that's definitely not the case. You see a little bit of range loss just because it's really cold out and that's harder on the batteries, but gas cars lose range in the winter too just because it's harder to, to move things around when it's really cold out. 
Right. Yeah, we've I continue to drive my electric vehicle in the winter and actually it handles really well. Mm -hmm. The batteries make it pretty heavy. So I have had no problems driving it in the winter at all. Yeah, me either. You know, you mentioned you've driven your Tesla 17,000 miles (laughs) in seven months. Seven months. (laughs) And I think I've driven my Nissan Leaf 25,000 miles in three years. I use it more as a commuter vehicle Mm -hmm. getting um, from Wanakee to Madison. And I think that just shows there is no one size fits all Mm -hmm. policy for having electric vehicles pay into the transportation fund. I don't drive as much as you. And so as the state considers different solutions to having EV drivers pay into the transportation fund, I think that's something to keep in mind. Every EV owner that I know recognizes the need to pay into the transportation fund. Um, but as gas driver, gasoline-fired vehicle drivers pay into the transportation fund via the gas tax, so it kind of captures use, usage, right now EV drivers are paying in um, $100 a year based on a registration fee. So um, I think it's just important that we don't know how much any EV driver drives. Mm-hmm. A reduced range vehicle, I mean, you're probably just not going to be driving as much as a Tesla owner. Um, and so I think that's an important consideration just to, to keep in mind as policymakers weigh uh, the future of transportation funding. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And this is something that not just Wisconsin policymakers are grappling with, but we're seeing all across the country is how do we, you know, fund the roads as the way that people are driving changes. Um, And so I think there are some really interesting solutions that can uh, address the different ways that people use different vehicles, whether it be, you know, different models of electric vehicles or electric versus gasoline or other. One of the things that has gotten some attention lately is the recycling of the battery components. First of all, the mining and then also the recycling of battery components used in electric vehicles. I want to point out that gasoline-fired vehicles also use batteries and battery components. Um, But as we kind of move towards greater EV adoption, as people realize all these benefits, do you have thoughts on the recycling and and other issues? Yeah. So electric vehicles use lithium-ion batteries for the most part, which is the same kind of batteries that we have in this room powering our laptops and our cell phones. So this is a question not just for the electric vehicle market, but really for the technology sector is how do we produce batteries in a way that um, is taking care of the people that are mining for these materials and then also that um, can be recycled at their end of useful life. And so electric vehicle um, battery manufacturers and also automotive companies have really been grappling with this issue because they want to make sure that they're providing their customers products that are, um, I guess, equitable for the people that are building them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Tesla has kind of been leading the forefront on reducing the amount of cobalt in their batteries. Cobalt is a rare earth metal, and it's also a conflict mineral. So a lot of the people who are mining for cobalt are um, doing it in kind of unsafe conditions, and they're being paid really low wages to do it. Um, And so Tesla has really been leading to try and make sure that um, the amount of cobalt that they use in their batteries is being decreased rapidly and, you know, eventually will hopefully be down to zero. 
Um, so, you know, there's no free lunch. And as we're trying to do better and make good decisions, there will, you know, be trade-offs. And that's maybe one of the trade-offs that we have to make right now, but that the industry is really thinking about how they improve upon that. Um, so that's in kind of the mining and creating of the batteries. On the flip side, when electric vehicles are at their end of life, um, those batteries still have a lot of energy capacity left in them. If you think about the amount of power it takes to move a vehicle at 75 miles an hour down the highway, um, that's a tremendous load that you're putting on that battery, that when it can no longer do that for the car, it can still be really great in other uses. Um, so all across the world, there are labs and recycling manufacturing facilities trying to build out the supply chain to reuse and recycle the batteries. Um, so for example, there have been case studies in 7-Elevens where recycled electric vehicle batteries, or I'm sorry, reused electric vehicle batteries um, are being used as backup generators to power the refrigeration systems if the power went out. Um, so those batteries can be reused in other use cases, and they're also full of really valuable materials that can be recycled at the end of use. Um, so those supply chains are being built out now. There aren't a ton of electric vehicles at their end of life yet. These mm -hmm. vehicles are really resilient. They last for a really long time. Um, so it's not something that we have seen a ton of yet, but that the industry is really preparing for. What is the useful life of the battery of an electric vehicle for the vehicle use? Yeah, so they're warrantied. Most electric vehicle batteries are warrantied for either eight years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. Um, so that's a really long time for the really powertrain of a, a car to be warrantied for. We're seeing electric vehicles that are lasting long after that warranty is up. Um, I know there are Teslas that are just driving in a big loop around California and have gone a million miles on the same battery pack and are seeing minimal degradation. So they really are pretty resilient. I read that a Nissan Leaf battery can last 22 years wow. as well. Let's just be clear. Um, what is the environmental profile for the life cycle of an electric vehicle versus a gasoline-fired vehicle? Yeah, so there are a few different organizations who have done what's called wells-to-wheels analysis. So that's you know, looking at the very beginning of the manufacturing process of a, a vehicle all the way through recycling the parts at the end of useful life. And it's pretty clear that an electric car is better than a gasoline-fired car. Um, and that's really due to the fuel that you're putting into the vehicle during its useful life. Um, so manufacturing a battery is more carbon intensive than manufacturing an internal combustion engine vehicle today. But as soon as that vehicle hits the road and is starting to be used, it's powered by cleaner energy than an internal combustion engine vehicle is. So that clock starts running backward immediately. All right, Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm really excited about our interview that we're about to get into. So we were joined by Corey Singletary of the Citizens Utility Board, Debbie Branson of Madison Gas and Electric, and Deb Irwin of XL Energy. Um, so you're gonna be able to listen to that full interview coming up next here. Uh, we did it as a sort of a panel style interview and I think you're gonna love it. I thought it was really cool. It was, they're superstars. Right? 
it was it was a great discussion and I really didn't want it to end to be honest but we're trying to keep the podcast a manageable <laughs> length for you before we throw it over to this interview you have to tell me the story of how you got the nickname Evie Jane although it's somewhat self-explanatory <laughs> so I do a lot of Evie communications for work um, and I'm just really passionate about it and I was tabling at a redo event um, for one of our solar programs and someone came up to me and you know I introduced myself as Jane, program manager for Renew, and they said, oh my gosh, you're Evie Jane, and I loved it. So now it's my Twitter bio. Some people call me Evie Jane. Love it. (laughs) So here we go. We will uh, throw you over to our interview with Corey, Debbie, and Deb right now. We are joined today by our utility panel discussing electric vehicles. With me, I have Corey Singletary, who is a utility analyst at the Citizens Utility Board of Wisconsin. Hello. How you doing? Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm also joined by Debbie Branson, manager of electrification at Madison Gas and Electric. Good morning, Kristen. Thanks for having me here today. Thank you. And Deb Irwin, who is Manager of Regulatory Policy at XL Energy. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. So let's get started and kick things off with a pretty broad question. Tell us more about your organization, your role, and when and why you started thinking about electric vehicles and electric vehicle policies when things started changing for you. We'll get started with Corey. Sure, thanks. Um, So the Citizens Utility Board is an independent nonprofit um, nonpartisan consumer advocate for residential and small business customers uh, in the state of Wisconsin. And, and, and Cub's been around for 40 years. We actually just celebrated our 40-year anniversary last uh, November. Um, so, you know, we sort of are the voice for u- small utility customers when it comes to issues like EVs. Um, and, you know, with respect to electric vehicles, you know, uh, Myself, I've been kind of thinking about EVs, EV rates and policy and and all of the complicated issues that go into EVs um, for a number of years, even going back to when you and I used to work together at the at the commission, Um, you know, thinking about, you know, what what it means to, you know, facilitate uh, electric vehicle transition um, from uh, internally combustion, uh, internal combustion vehicles. Um, and, and, and all of the, the complicated issues surrounding that. For the last couple of years, I've been at CUB, and, you know, at CUB, we've been focused on it, I think, on and off over the years, but particularly, I think, in the last year and change, um, as, you know, the adoption of electric vehicles has taken off, um, as cost parity has, has come a little bit closer between EVs and traditional vehicles, and things like the proceeding before the commission, um, where they're looking at EV policies and really asking questions about, you know, what kind of issues uh, should policymakers and companies and consumers uh, and third parties be concerned about. And, you know, our, our role as the consumer advocate is, is primarily to think about it from a cost perspective, but we also, there's a lot of consumer issues surrounding EVs. And so that, you know, really gets to sort of our core mission. But, you know, really, really over the last year, we've been putting a lot more thought into um, electric vehicles and what that means for uh, consumers in Wisconsin. Thanks, Corey. Debbie? 
Yeah, my role of manager of electrification, I'm in our energy products and services group, and I spend a lot of my time um, designing programs and resources to meet the needs of both our residential and our business customers who are considering electric transportation. So that could be a vehicle that they're using as their personal vehicle or somebody that wants to use it for a business purpose. Um, and MG&E started thinking about electric transportation before I even started with the company. It was about 10 years ago. Um, we recognized that utilities could really help move the market by installing public charging stations. So we began building a public charging network, and at the time it was one of the largest in the region. Also at that time, drivers could only go about, I don't know, 60 to 80 miles on a single charge. So batteries were much smaller and people were a lot more nervous about driving an EV without having a public charging network. But a lot of that has changed. Um, the battery technology has improved tremendously and vehicles can travel much farther. So today, um, and it's also it's based on what we've learned from our customers who have been early adopters in the Madison area. So today we focus more on programs that help customers with home charging, and that includes apartments and condos. You know, about 50 53% of Madison residents are renters, so we need to work with them as well. And about 80% of charging happens at home. You know, it's easy and convenient for drivers. Deb Irwin from Excel Energy. Thanks. Um, so Excel Energy has three strategic priorities that line up really well with electric transportation. Um, it's leading the clean energy transition, enhancing the customer experience, and keeping bills low. Um, and so a few years ago, Excel Energy started piloting a few um, programs for customers that really kind of hit all of those things. You know, there's a lot that we can do now that we've been decarbonizing the sources of electricity that we're using. So there's a lot of benefits that we can bring to customers that way, um, as well as, you know, helping them lower their overall energy costs um, by helping them electrify their transportation needs. Um, and the other thing that we're trying to do is just make it easier for customers, you know, make it um, a more seamless, no hassle experience to um, transition to electric vehicles. So those are the things that, you know, have caused us to really spend a lot of time focusing on this because we think we can deliver a lot of value for customers in this area. Deb and Debbie, you have really great programs to promote driving electric how many of your customers are driving electric vehicles now and what are they looking to get from their utility to help them drive electric? So in our northwestern Wisconsin service territory, um, Excel Energy has about 800 people with uh, registered electric vehicles. Um, you know, Wisconsin has about 1% electric vehicle penetration. That's lower than the national uh, average, about 2%. Um, I don't know. Debbie might have some updated numbers for us. <laughs> Well, I That's think what she told me coming in. Ma you know, Debbie Stay Service tuned. Territory in Madison has uh, probably a higher concentration. Yeah, we've got a little bit higher concentration, and I think the the national average is closer to two point five percent. So it's eking up a little bit. That's great. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear it. Um, you know, it, and for us, Excel Energy is actually in eight different states. And so, um, you know, we do have more EV drivers in our Minnesota service territory and even more still in our Colorado territory. Um, but actually, Wisconsin is the third most populous EV driver state for us for Excel Energy. 
So, you know, we're doing um, some of the same things that um, Debbie mentioned, uh, trying to support charging infrastructure, though we're um, approaching it a little bit differently. You know, we're focusing on um, infrastructure. You know, utilities are sort of natural investors in infrastructure. We build infrastructure to serve electric needs. That's kind of what a utility does. Um, and so we thought about, you know, what can we do that kind of fits that core role of the utility um, and also addresses customers' needs. And so we're bringing um, a program that's under consideration right now at the Wisconsin Public Service Commission for uh, the utility to offer residential charging um, in homes, very similar to what Madison Gas and Electric is doing today, um, and also a program that would lower the upfront costs of make-ready infrastructure for um, commercial fleet, you know, local government type customers, non-residential applications um, where you may need to build more substantial infrastructure to you know, meet those charging needs. How did you come up with that plan? What, what were you looking at that helped you develop this proposal for the commission to consider? So we looked at the barriers to people um, choosing electric transportation. Um, you know, a couple of the barriers that we felt like we could address as a utility, one is information, and so we want to be an information source for our customer. And another big one is high upfront costs. Um, so today, you know, there's often at least a little bit of a premium to, to purchase an electric vehicle, and then there's the cost of the charging infrastructure. And so we thought about what can we do to lower any of those upfront costs to make it um, an easier decision for customers. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that we're looking at is, you know, how do we get people to charge at the times when electricity is the cheapest? And so, you know, another part of our residential proposal focuses on um, charging off-peak primarily and, and giving customers the benefits of the lower cost of electricity to charge off-peak. And that helps all customers as well, even those without EVs when people are charging at the appropriate times. It does. I mean, you know, if you think about it, if you can have more customers using the same utility infrastructure, you're actually going to lower the cost for all customers. And so it really matters when people are charging and, and trying to get people to charge, you know, and use that infrastructure better is something that, you know, is, is a good role, I think, for the utility to play. Corey, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The <clears throat> One of the things that we've been looking at and I've thought about for a number of years, like I mentioned before, is is it it all comes down to timing and the specifics, right? Um, you know, if everyone, let, let's say you had a bunch of people with electric vehicles. You look at a city like Madison where you have a higher penetration of EVs and, um, you know, folks work a nine to five, you, you, your, char your vehicle's charged, you go to work, you come home. <clears throat> What's probably everyone's natural inclination is to come home, you drive into the garage, you probably have a plug there, you plug it into charge, and you plug it in to start charging then, right? Everyone comes home between 5 and 6 o'clock, and so you have, you know, whole neighborhoods uh, worth of vehicles um, coming on to the grid at once. And one thing that people probably don't realize is an electric vehicle charging load, depending on what kind of charger you have at home and, and so forth, um, you know, can be equivalent to, you know, your household load. Right at various times, so you can almost think of it as as increasing your your, your the household size in terms of electricity need by fifty percent, one hundred percent, just by plugging in that EV. 
And you multiply that by tens, hundreds, thousands of EV electric vehicles. And if you don't get that timing right, you can have people coming on right in the evening, which oftentimes, particularly right now, let's say in the winter, um, that that after work period is a, is a peak period in terms of cost, in terms of what it costs the utility to provide electricity to the customers. So, you know, one of the things that we've really emphasize in conversations with um, our utility partners and, and other stakeholders, as well as other consumer advocates in other states is, you know, what we would like to see is, um, as programs are proposed, um, both in terms of customer-facing solutions, in terms of rates or infrastructure, like charging stations, um, and things beyond the utility regulatory area, that a focus on um, efficient utilization of the electric grid is, is key. And that that be front and center, and also making certain that, you know, when you're looking forward and set, setting goals, that one of the goals is to maximize the benefits of EVs, and that really only happens is if you're able to tap into some of these efficiencies. Well, I just wanted to elaborate on that a little bit. So we have a charge at home program similar to what Excel is proposing, and it does have a managed charging component. So. And we've been doing this now for a couple of years, so we do have some experience in how customers are responding to this and to some of the data that we have. And we want to look at programs. You know, we want to make it convenient and affordable for EV drivers, but also provide benefits to customers who either choose not to or maybe can't afford to get an electric vehicle. Um, and if we're able to manage the load on the grid by managing EV charging, we can better manage costs for all customers. You know, so some of the things we're, we're learning, you know, on average, cars are parked for like 95% of the day. And based on our charge at home data, when, you know, like Corey's saying people come in, they plug in their vehicles, they've got them plugged in for nine hours, but they're actually only charging for like an hour and 45 minutes on average. So that gives us plenty of opportunity to start charging or stop charging when prices are low right now during off-peak or maybe when renewables are available. Maybe we want people to start charging t during the day when solar's available. And so far we've had several, what we call charging events. So that means we might go in and delay charging or reduce power to a customer's stations. And nobody's opted out or nobody's called to complain. So woo, we, we think that's a success. It's really going unnoticed. And we also just finished a study with our char uh, charge at home participants and only one customer said it was somewhat inconvenient. Everybody else was like, nah, it was fine. I didn't even notice it. It pretty much went unnoticed. So we're able to manage the grid, benefit all customers, and we're not really inconveniencing drivers. I have to say I agree with that, and it really rings true to me. Just in terms of maybe something more people have experience with is my iPhone. Now when I plug in my iPhone at night, I get a message that says, um, optimized charging has started, your phone will be charged by 5 a.m. And I don't know exactly what's all happening with that. Maybe it's slowing it down or how it's doing it, but I'm okay with that. You know, it's, it sounds good to me. And I, I also drive an EV. I think it would be a similar situation with EVs. You don't want people to have to think about it too much, and it doesn't sound like they have to with your program. No, they don't. And they do get a 24-hour notification, and they can opt out if they want to, but so far nobody's even opted out. So they're aware of it, but it's just, I guess if their vehicle is plugged in the morning when they need it, doesn't seem to matter to most customers. So one thing that, uh, about that, and I think bridging what both of you just mentioned, is you know one thing <clears throat> to consider is, and we think is really important, 
is while electric vehicles are, you know, one to two percent, you know, depending on the source you're looking at right now, um, if you look forward and say, okay, well, what do we want the sort of the system or the ecosystem of electric vehicles to look like in 10, 20 years, and, and what do we need to accomplish that? Um, and you consider things like making it easier for customers to interact with the utility in a way that maximizes the benefits for everyone. You think of that now, then you can come up with solutions that are sort of, as, as one of Debbie's colleagues likes to call it, sort of an easy button approach, right? So the customers don't have to think about that. And the value of coming up with that sort of ex ante upfront is that then if the utilities and third parties or whoever have these um, programs in place and offerings in place that make it easy for customers that behind the scenes are maximizing the benefits for everyone, that's the customer's first experience with it, right? You're not having to retrain them. You're not having to have, having to have a customer go out, buy an electric vehicle, develop certain habits about when they charge, where they charge, how much it costs, this kind of thing, and then have to sort of have them retrain themselves over time as um, maybe we go on and say, oh, no, we need to change things, or we need to change the rates, or we need to change how this program works. And that reduces customer confusion and, and makes it a lot smoother over the long run. So I think that's a value of, of thinking strategically long term and not just doing things the way we've always done it. Corey, I think that's a really great point, and I think that's why we're so excited about the utility programs that are available in Wisconsin today to really test out what consumers are enjoying about their electric vehicles and what kind of behavior changes that they are um, okay with as, as they get used to driving electric. Absolutely. So as we look toward a future with more electric vehicle adoption, what do you see as the role that utilities will play in this market going forward? Um, well, speaking from MG&E, so, you know, at a basic level, you know, drivers expect us to supply reliable power so they can charge their vehicles at home. Businesses expect that for, you know, workplace charging and fleet vehicles. And I think a lot of our customers already consider us to be energy experts, but now we're becoming a fuel provider. So that kind of changes the relationship a little bit. And as, as we move from early adopters, so a lot of early adopters did all their homework, went in and bought a vehicle and just kind of pushed the sales guy out of the way. Now as we're moving to more traditional car, um, car buyers, we've seen our our role change a little bit. You know, we offer uh, resources for customers at many stages, customers exploring vehicles online, car sh sh uh, shopping, to charging station installation. So for example, we created a website, it's called Love EV, that's MG&E Backtop dot com backslash love EV. And that helps customers who are considering an EV. And you can get information on models, driving range, costs, um, clean energy options, uh, and charging opportunities. We've got videos and we've got links to some outside resources. And we also have a tool called Explore My EV. And that helps car buyers compare the cost of an EV to a similar powered gas vehicle. We get a lot of folks say, well, I pay more upfront. You know, what are my savings going to be over time? And with an electric vehicle, as you know, everybody here knows, you pay less in maintenance and you pay less in fuel. So you could save money over time. Um, and then we also talk to our customers a lot about uh, clean energy options. So a lot of customers want to be able to charge on renewable energy. So... You know, we, t we tell them about our shared solar program and our green power tomorrow programs. And our public charging network is all powered by wind. 
I like to say that clean energy is contagious. So, you know, once you get interested in renewable energy, you oftentimes get interested in electric vehicle and vice versa. So it's really exciting to hear that you're sort of looking at that interaction in the market. Deb, do you want to talk about the role of utility in the electric vehicle market? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of roles that we're looking to play, um, and a lot of other utilities are probably in a similar boat. You know, it's advice, uh, assistance with installation, um, and optimization. And so, you know, we've talked about kind of how to realize the most benefits and bring benefits to all customers um, by making sure that charging can be managed or is taking place at sort of the optimal time for um, the grid. And, you know, when it comes to advice and installation, I mean, I think utilities are a trusted energy advisor. And so people are naturally turning to utilities to um, find out information about what would an electric vehicle mean for me. And so we have tools similar to what Debbie talked about for MG&E. We've got an electric vehicle advisor tool um, and, you know, guides for sort of step-by-step what you need to do and think about when you're installing charging infrastructure. Um, So just trying to make that process easier for customers. And then, you know, the programs that we're working on and trying to bring to a number of our territories, including Wisconsin, have to do with making that installation process and that transition easier. So, you know, they don't need, our customers don't need to figure out, you know, hiring an electrician if they don't want to. They don't need to figure out how to um, bring this new equipment to their, you know, property. We can take care of that for them as their energy provider. Yeah, so the role of the utility in with electric vehicles and fleet transition, I mean, from <clears throat> the way we kind of look at it is there's there's a couple ways to, to view the, the role of the utility. I mean, obviously, the, the utility's job is to, to maintain the grid and, and, and continue to provide safe, affordable, reliable service, and they're, they're always going to be there, um, you know, dealing with sort of the, the back-end infrastructure, the distribution, um, Deb mentioned, make ready, essentially everything from what we traditionally consider the grid, you know, up to the point where someone hooks up a charging station, um, whether that be at a high V or a gas station or, or at a home. Um, so there's that sort of traditional utility role of, of, of the grid operator and the, the power supplier. And part of what both Debbie and, and um, Deb have mentioned is this sort of new role that's um, customer-facing. Um, you know, there's sort of the last touch point uh, that the customer deals with in terms of transportation, where they're buying their fuel from the utility in some cases directly. Um, and the utilities are, say, have, are putting in place programs where they're putting in electric vehicle charging infrastructure and say vehicles in, in um, homeowners, you know, garages or whatnot. And when you start getting beyond the standard sort of provision of, of utility service and you start getting into um, these sort of endpoint use cases for electric vehicles, DC fast chargers, do you, you know, what's the utility's role when you get into things like public charging infrastructure and that kind of thing. Um, you know, that's, that's a somewhat newer area, at least the we, as, as we are viewing it. And, you know, one of the things that we've mentioned a few times in, in various comments is we agree with the utilities that, you know, they are uniquely positioned, um, particularly in the early stages of this EV transformation, to be that trusted advisor, to be, um, the entity that can provide these services, whether it be make ready, whether it be equipment or rates or, or other facilitation for, for EVs. Um, and we don't necessarily have a problem with that um, from a consumer advocate standpoint. 
the only thing that we are sort of constantly throwing out there for people to rhyme for people is, okay, well, you know, these are, these are regulated monopoly utilities. And it's all fine and good that they provide services for customers to meet the, the demands of their, uh, the utilities, consumers, and customers. Um, but those programs, um, you know, shouldn't be paid for by essentially non-participating customers, right? Um, you know, if you look back at some of the work Cub has done in the regulatory area, you know, programs like what MG&E's got and, um, you know, some others, you know, we haven't really had a problem with. You know, if you look back at some of our testimony, it's like, yeah, this, this, this is fine. Um, others where some of our utility colleagues have scratched their heads and say, well, why, why don't you like what we're offering? Is it, is it gets into an area where customers who don't have EVs um, uh, are being asked to pay for, you know, pay for services that folks who do own EVs are receiving. And there may be a, an arena where you have that sort of public support um, because we're utility consumer advocates, we have to, you know, our job is to say, okay, well, maybe that's, maybe that's more of a, you know, a state policy, right? Maybe tax money goes there. But because of the unique relationship between utilities and utility customers and that sort of regulated monopoly, um, you know, we're, we're really, really focused on that line between the, the monopoly service and the competitive market and making certain that as much as there can be a bright line, that there is one. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, what you're bringing up, Corey, that is, you know, what's fair to all customers um, and is what the utility proposing to do going to provide value to all customers, you know, if they're using sort of the the broad um, sort of utility investment opportunity. Um, And I think there are a lot of cases where it will deliver value and there are other cases where it won't, right? And so, you know, that's sort of what the regulatory process, I think, you know, ferrets out in a lot of ways um, is, you know, as as a regulated utility proposing something, we try to think that through as best we can, you know, before we sort of put forward a proposal, um, you know, before we put forward what we have in Wisconsin right now pending, you know, we tried to talk to stakeholders, um, get some feedback, get some input, figure out if we're thinking about it, you know, correctly, um, and making sure that we are delivering benefits. um, And to the extent that there's a benefit just going, say, to a particular customer, that that customer is the one paying for it. Um, But, you know, it's just sort of that holistic perspective of, you know, what's really fair and and what's, you know, the appropriate um, use of that money. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the benefits of, of the utility regulatory model generally is the understanding that we have is that, you know, if you, you're making a claim that you should be able to back that up, um, you know, if utility is saying that there will be broader ratepayer benefits, we're fine with that. It's it's just I feel like I'm in, you know, in Jerry Maguire and I'm like, show me the money, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> Quantify that. Yeah, yes. you know, so it, absolutely. There's definitely opportunities. We talked about things like, you know, um, efficiencies in the system and we you know we should explore those well I like with our targeted hope program you know when we look at that so that program um, you know MGE helps coordinate the installation of a level two charging station there's no upfront cost but then customers pay twenty dollars a month plus the cost of electricity so we really do recoup the cost mm-hmm. of what went into that but it's more of a hassle-free no upfront cost easy way for folks to get charging stations. But as part of that, like I mentioned earlier, they agree to allow us to manage their charging station. So that's where we can kind of test, test that technology, see how it works, and then can see how those benefits will 
be available to all customers. Well, and I was just going to add, you know, to some extent, this is pretty early days, right, um, in transportation electrification. So, you know, there's not always going to be a ton of data available. If, you know, if everyone thinks that there are benefits to a specific approach, you know, to some extent, what utilities are trying to do right now is test things out to demonstrate those benefits. So, you know, I think the utilities are hoping for flexibility and kind of a supportive environment in which to test some of that stuff out because, you know, we don't have all of the experience today to demonstrate all of the benefits that we think that we can deliver. So if you were going to give advice to a regulated utility coming to the Public Service Commission proposing a rate or policy on electric vehicles, what would your advice be? Um, I would say talk to your customers who have already gone electric. You know, we've got a group of EV owner groups, and they're always very vocal and willing to share <laughs> share their opinion. Um, so customer feedback has been really invaluable to us in designing our programs. And we talked about this a little bit already. I mean, consider programs that, yes, make it charging convenient and affordable for EV drivers, but also look at things that can help uh, benefit other um, other customers. And I think the managed charging component is really critical to doing that. Um, if, you know, here's an example. So I, I think I mentioned that um, the cars are plugged in for nine hours are charged at home. They're only charging for an hour and 45 minutes. That's a really good opportunity to kind of shift charging and move charging. I mean, what happens is if we have a customer, what's called our time of use rates, so that's where if people, somebody charges in at nine o'clock, they pay less because on the grid overall, there's less electricity use. Well, what we're seeing with our charge at home customers is they're, they're on shift and safe. So a whole bunch of them are charging at nine. So if you just have a time of use rate and everyone starts charging at nine, you're creating new problems on the grid. So then now we're seeing peaks at 9 p.m. With the managed charging like we do at charge at home, we can kind of stagger those start charging times over that, you know, from 9 p.m. to 10 a.m. So that smoothes out the effect on the grid. And then that helps benefit all customers as well. So it's a better use of our distribution system, which is going to re reduce the need for potential upgrades later if we're being able to manage that charging. And that goes for fleets, workplace, multifamily charging. There's all opportunities to kind of manage that use to benefit the grid. So my advice for a utility thinking about offering a program or a rate, uh, in our experience, you know, one size does not fit all. There are a lot of different um, charging needs and, and customer profiles and different situations. So what might work for a single family residential charging situation is not going to be the same thing that's going to work for public charging infrastructure. And so, you know, right now, we have chosen a couple of areas to focus on in getting started in Wisconsin, and we realize that you know what we've proposed does not meet all use cases, and that's I think that's okay. I think we want to get started, um, but you know just realize that in kind of getting involved in transportation electrification. It, it's complicated and um, people, you know, you need to think about what your customers' needs are and um, how to deliver those benefits. And so, you know, 
don't bite off more than you can chew right away and and try to focus on doing you know some things really well and get some experience yeah I, I i agree i mean doing these pilots and just what we've learned from working with our charge at home customers is three to four years then it gives us an opportunity to survey and we do surveys and we find there's some things we're doing right there's some things we could improve on and again it, it definitely depends on the audience like you said what works in an apartment in a condo does not necessarily work in a resident single family home um, and then fleet customers, that's, that's a whole different kind of uh, customer group that we're trying to work with. You know, they're going to be having larger vehicles with higher energy requirements, different rate structure. So now we're kind of learning about, you know, the vehicles are just kind of coming around to this area. So we're starting to work with businesses early on, first of all, to help them understand to work with your utility on the front end because you're going to be your electricity bill is going to look completely different now that you're using it as a fuel and even helping them understand what's available when they should be charging so it's a much different conversation that we might have with our with our residential customers corey i want to ask you that same question and then add on one thing should they do something what's your advice and should they be doing something it's like you're reading my mind um uh so, you know, what should the utilities do? Um, obviously, they should go talk to their consumer advocate first before they even propose, <laughs> before they even propose something Step before the regulator. One. Step number one. Um, you know, but seriously, one of the, you know, what I was thinking about, and I think I even went, you know, I, I'm fortunate here, you know, in this in this podcast that MG&E and NSP, we've had a really good relationship over the years, in particular over the last you know year or so, as they've gone through and thought about EV-focused programs, um, and we've had a lot of conversations before anything has come before the commission. But I think most recently, when when Deb and I spoke about, I think some of the proposals she mentioned that they were doing is invariably one of the questions we we always ask is, you know, what do you have in place in your rates and programs that can meet some of the needs of EV uh, owners or prospective EV owners is is what you're proposing needed, all right? And I think there's a natural um, urge or, or, or uh, instinct when you are piloting something to want to wanna come up with something fresh and new and like out in left field and, and, and create a, a new um, something um, for say electric vehicles. And, you know, we had most recently um, a municipal electric utility close to Madison uh, propose an EV-targeted program. They wanted to put in a new rate. Um, and, you know, one of the questions there is, like, well, why are you doing this? You already have some options. Debbie mentioned the time of use rate. Have you gone out to your customers and said, hey, you're looking at an electric vehicle? Are you aware there's a time of use rate that can save you money? Right? And, you know, so... The uh, what should the utilities do? Certainly, it's take a look at what your existing portfolio of of programs and services and products um, that you're offering to your customers, and see what can be leveraged in the area of EVs. Uh, and some of it gets back to what I was talking about in terms of the new relationship between electric vehicle uh, utilities and electric vehicle owners and utility customers generally. Is you know all of the I believe all of the utilities in Wisconsin have time of use rates which electric vehicle owners generally would all benefit from being on. But I think less than 1% of all utility residential utility customers in the state are on a time of use rate, right? So, but historically, and, you know, but historically utilities haven't really gone out and marketed that as a product, okay? Um, 
maybe it's as simple as starting with that. You know, looking at the utilities, um, you know, marketing programs and advertising programs and saying, hey, you know, you're looking at buying an EV, you know, con- consider changing the rate program you're on. Um, and the other part is, you know, it's kind of the, almost the opposite of what I've just mentioned is if you are going to be doing something different, make it different. All right. Be innovative. Think, be real forward thinking and say, okay, what if we are going to pilot something and we think that there are system benefits or maybe there are system costs or things we want to test here, you know, really think outside the box and say, okay, well, what can we do? Can we test that? And be willing to be, you know, nimble and whatnot. And Dad mentioned, you know, the utilities are looking for this kind of flexibility to really kind of carve out some information gathering and, and do some pilots. And I think as consumer advocates at Cub, we're not opposed to that. But we want to make, we want to see that there's sort of some thinking going on and there's a plan, right? So it sounds, you know, literally what I've said is, is do nothing and do everything. But, um, <laughs> but we'll it's, get right I, on that. <laughs> It's, it's, uh, I, think it, I think it's taking a measured approach because it, there, there are a lot of tools that the utilities have available to them right now. It's just rethinking how they engage with their customers. And then I think once you sort of tap that out, to Deb's point, there isn't a one-size-fits-all one solution and say, okay, well, this, what we have, meets the needs of X percent of our EV customer base. How do we provide products for the rest? And that's, you know, and I know we've talked about this before, Corey, but that's what we did too when we rolled out our charge at home program. We do promote the time of use rate. We did, we rebranded it. We came up with some new promotion, really promoted it to our electric vehicle drivers. Um, some people have signed up, but we just sent a survey out. So now we're going to learn, you know, why people are signing up and why they're not. Some people are saying, I, I don't want to charge my vehicle at night. I can't switch all my time at night. Or it works for me. That's fine. So by doing that, but I, I agree. I think it was really a good idea just to kind of look at this time of user rate. We don't have a lot of people that are signed up for it now. We haven't promoted it to EV drivers yet. So let's come up with a promotional campaign, see who's interested. And then after we've done it for some time with these pilots, an opportunity to do surveys and focus groups and get feedback and figure out what we need to do to improve that. Is it designed a new rate? Is it tweak our existing rates? You know, to to really kind of get to what customers are looking for to help them reduce their charging costs. And that was and that was a long term process. Yeah. You know, we uh, Cub is part of a, a work group with MG&E, mm-hmm. and I remember. You know, we went through, I don't know how many meetings over how many months where we were kicking around ideas of like, well, what new rate do we come up with electric for electric vehicle owners? And ultimately it came that we arrived, we all arrived at the conclusion of, okay, well, hang on, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Before we create something new, let's figure out why customers aren't even using what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, I, I have to applaud MG&E for going through that process, both internally and as a stakeholder. A stakeholder process, just a little plug for utilities to work with, you know, the broader <laughs> stakeholder community. Um, but that's that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about in terms of advice for what the utilities, we think the utilities should be doing. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, it's interesting, and we kind of have a history of doing this in Wisconsin, I think, of utilities trying out different approaches to things. Um, you know, so the one thing I would say that's materially different between what Excel Energy is proposing to do in Wisconsin for residential customers versus what mg is doing today is that we are planning to use the chargers to measure electric usage so that we can actually apply a different rate, a time of use rate to just the EV charging. So, you know, I think we can we can all learn something from I, that, I right? Great, yeah. 
you know, we can learn if is that a better fit for customers? Is that, you know, sort of need to move the whole home to time of use a barrier that you're experiencing at MG&E that we can, you know, sort of test out and solve for by using advances in technology? I'm interested to see where that goes because we do have people that say, I just want, I just want to meter my EV charging. But then if they have the cost of a second meter, that can be prohibitive. And that can, I think that and happened in Minnesota. People didn't sign up for those programs because they're not, then they're doing the comparison to the gasoline and the electric. And then they have to install that second meter. So then they're not seeing the savings. So trying to use that utility grade meter that's in the charging station might be a good a good option for people just to really have sort of an EV specific rate. That's exactly right. And that's how we got to where we are today is that, you know, we initially had in our Minnesota territory a separately metered rate and that, you know, in talking to customers, that meter cost was a barrier. And so then we kind of said, okay, well, what else can we do? Is there anything else we can do to get rid of that meter cost? And that's how we got to using the chargers for that purpose. I'm really loving this conversation. I feel like there's been a really great through line about how do we make the electric vehicles themselves and the electric vehicle programs that utilities are coming out with uh, really beneficial to the drivers and also to everyone on the electric grid and all ratepayers. So I think it's it's really exciting and it's exciting to see everyone in the room thinking through those questions and working together. And I think you know, us in the room and everyone listening will have some really great solutions. So Kristen has a really exciting question that she's been asking all of her guests. All right, this is the last question, and I'll pose it this way. If you had all the power, get it? Um, or if you, were, <laughs> if you had all the power for the day, what would you do to help promote EVs or appropriate EV policies? Well, I think what I would do is I would have more EV variety out there. So, so many times when we talk to customers, and it's happening. I mean, there's more models coming out, battery costs are lower, and there's more variety, but people want pickups and they want SUVs and they want crossovers and they want more variety. I mean, every time we do a survey, someone says, well, you know, I need a truck. I've got to haul my kids hockey stuff or, you know, for work, I need a pickup truck. And that's coming. So I think that's going to really help move the market. Another thing that's really important, and um, we continue to work on it, and I think all utilities continue to work on it, is partnering with local dealerships. Because at some point, you have to go buy the vehicle and you have to work with the dealership. And again, a lot of the, the, uh, the regular car buyers haven't done all their homework. So when they go in, we've had car owners that leave buy an electric vehicle, leave, and have no idea where to charge it. And they might live in an apartment. So they're going around using public charging stations and not really having an opportunity to charge at home. So I think utilities and dealerships can work together to um, inform drivers on the benefits and help them understand how to charge at home. Um, so we've done that. We've had reward programs. We've done some training. We've got point of service displays. And the dealerships have really been receptive to that partnership and both trying to work forward to make sure people are educated when they drive off the lot with that electric vehicle and know where to charge and how much it's going to cost them to charge a vehicle. Corey? So I'm going to preface this by saying what I'm about what I'm about to say is my opinion only and does not represent the official position of, of Cub. Um, so <laughs> 
I was thinking about this. I'd, I'd listened to the, you know, the, the past shows, and I noticed that you were asking this uh, sort of bright idea question, and I was racking my brain. And um, it occurred to me that really there are, there are two ways you have to answer this. Okay? One is when you're talking about promoting EVs, are you talking about just sort of facilitating people buying EVs and, and having a, a good EV owner experience? All right, um, and just sort of letting the market go where it's go, and try to reduce some barriers a little bit. In that case, my sort of bright idea is is a little way out in left field, and really has nothing to do with the utility regulatory area. But gets to one of the things that Debbie had mentioned is, I would I would propose folks look at the state the state of Wisconsin's dealership laws, and and in so far as uh, enabling really it's specifically Tesla vehicles to be sold in the state of Wisconsin um, for the simple reason that, to Debbie's point, more options, right? You know, objectively, the best performing electric vehicles, unless you need a truck or something like that, although there is a truck coming, um, <laughs> uh, you know, are, are Tesla vehicles from a range standpoint, from a features. There's, there's been press recently um, from the automotive industry that they've looked at what's in the Tesla Model 3 in terms of electronics, and they're like, we cannot compete with what Tesla is doing. And I think just generally looking at, I think that's an example of, okay, well, let's look at our dealership laws in terms of, looks, in terms of increasing options for customers um, and, and similar things that may be just sort of structural impediments to people just buying a vehicle, getting access to the vehicle they want. Um, the other one is, are you as, as opposed to just facilitating, are you actually trying to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles, right? And in that that area, again, this is my own opinion. No one, you know, send hate mail to Cub. Is you know, th- there's a chicken and egg infrastructure problem we've sort of danced around in in this discussion in the show today. And you know, my sort of bright idea is, you know, look at uh, alternatives to the existing gas tax like VMTs and things like that, and have a specific amount of that ca- that revenue go towards, you know, public. EV support, charging infrastructure, that kind of investment. Um, because particularly since we are a Midwest state, you know, if you, going from Madison to Milwaukee in a Leaf or a Tesla or something like that's not that necessarily that big a deal. But once you get there, depending on your vehicle, you may be, you know, down to the bottom of your battery and you may need to charge it. Um, so having that charging infrastructure is really important. And that's, that's more of a societal and public good question, right? Um, so that's if you're really trying to push the pedal is money has to come from somebody, ideally not the utility customer. So let's find a way. Deb from Excel. Well, yeah, I'll maybe have the same disclaimer. I don't know if this is the Excel position. This is more of the Deb Irwin position. Um, but you know, I would just encourage everyone to focus on the end goals instead of, you know, sort of what change are we talking about from the status quo? So, you know, if your end goal is lower costs for everyone, you know, lower the cost of transportation for everyone, reducing carbon, um, addressing the fact that transportation is now the largest source of carbon emissions in the United States. If those are your goals, you know, focus on that 
and and focus on you know what can you do between where we are today to get to that future of reali- realizing all those benefits instead of getting stuck on but you know but this is what the utility does today or but this is how things work today so just focus on those end goals that's my my idea and that's a good point too is you know, looking at options for customers that can't own vehicles. So we've looked at opportunities for how do we support car sharing, electric transit buses, electric bright, electric bikes. So there, there are a lot of opportunities to really make clean transportation available to all customers. Thank you so much to our panel for joining us today. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our panel for that lively discussion, and thank you to the members of the Customers First Coalition for sponsoring our podcast. The Citizens Utility Board, Dairyland Power Cooperative, the IBEW 2150, Madison Gas and Electric, Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, Renew Wisconsin, Wisconsin Electric Cooperative Association, and WPPI Energy. Thank you to our founding members. Don't forget to register for the Power Lunch It's going to be a really exciting discussion called Building Toward Net Zero Carbon. We're lining up some amazing speakers and policymakers. You really don't want to miss this event. You can find a registration link at the events page on our website, customersfirst.org. A registration link is also pinned to our Twitter profile, at underscore customersfirst. Also, please subscribe to The Electric Wire wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Follow along on Twitter at The Electric Wire. We'll tweet out new episodes and other fun pictures and stories to share. We'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Public Service Commission of Wisconsin Chairperson Rebecca Vock. We're really looking forward to chatting with her more about the PSC's role in Wisconsin's clean energy transition. Now, I have a special treat for all of you dedicated listeners. We came back to record an extended interview with Deb Irwin from Excel Energy about a study on fleet savings and a roadmap that Excel is developing with the city of Eau Claire. It's less than 10 minutes long, and I think for all of you who are interested in EV policy, you'll really find this an interesting discussion. Thank you, Deb, for joining me. We wanted to go a little bit more in depth about a study that came out a couple weeks ago. I read this headline and I knew I had to ask Deb more about it. It says millions of dollars could be saved if large organizations switch to electric or hybrid vehicles. Study finds. The study was conducted by Xcel Energy in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Colorado. So I've got Deb Irwin here. We're recording this separate from the utility panel that you heard earlier on this podcast, but I wanted Deb to share a little bit more about the cost savings that this study found. Thanks, Kristen. Um, Yeah, this was a really cool thing. Um, You know, I talked about wanting to play that advisory role for our customers and help them understand what it means to transition to electric vehicles and what the benefits would be for them. So we last year partnered with um, a company called Fleet Karma that installs telematics equipment, you know, basically um, tracking equipment on vehicles and then assesses driving patterns um, and can help you evaluate 
whether a particular vehicle and how you use it um, is a good candidate for electrification. So we offered this to um, basically our communities and nonprofit type customers that we thought would um, benefit from this and you know, sort of helping them understand how they could benefit from uh, electrifying their fleets. And so we had about um, 10 or so customers participate in Wisconsin. And we also did this in a couple other states, Minnesota and Colorado. And you know, when you combine the three states and, and everybody that participated in that, and we found that, you know, if 184 fleet vehicles were switched to either all electric or plug-in hybrid electric, um, that would save a total of $2.5 million, including 45,000 gallons of fuel savings and carbon reduction of about 1,200 tons. So, um, you know, looking just at one of our customers in particular, City of Eau Claire, they would save more than $100,000 on total cost of ownership um, for their fleet and be able to reduce their carbon emissions by almost 60 tons annually. So those are things that were really important to them. And, um, you know, building on that type of knowledge, they even wanted to go farther and, and sort of make a plan for their fleet conversion, what they can do in the city of Eau Claire, and um, what they can do in the community as well. And so um, another thing that we actually did recently um, and is under consideration by the Eau Claire City Council right now um, is called an electric vehicle community roadmap. So we have this program at Excel Energy called Partners in Energy, and we offer um, communities the ability to kind of help them plan to meet various sustainability goals. We, we're starting to get more interest from communities in how they can approach electrification. And so Eau Claire is actually the first community in all of our eight states to work with us on this electric vehicle roadmap. And so we use kind of the Partners in Energy um, format where we had a couple of workshops with city staff um, and XL Energy staff and um, some external consultants that we brought in. Really got into a lot of detail about um, what it would mean to electrify, you know, everything that the city of Eau Claire has for transportation. You know, so we had you know, city management folks, we had IT, we had fleets, we had transit, you know, we had all, all sorts of different representatives from within the city entity itself. And then we also talked about um, how the city can set an example for the community and um, meeting their broader community goals um, for carbon reduction. And so we developed this roadmap, you know, identified priorities, identified then steps that could be taken in, you know, the next few years, some concrete things that they can do to sort of move the needle and start to realize the benefits of transportation electrification. For other communities who may be interested in working on a similar roadmap, could they find something online? Are there resources you've developed? That's actually a great question, and that is one of the things that we wanted to do with um, Eau Claire being the very first of our communities to do this. We were sort of charting new territory, and um, so we have been 
not only developing this roadmap for Eau Claire, but also actually tools for communities. So I don't think those are available just yet, but they should be relatively soon. And we want to be able to offer kind of this community roadmap um, support for other communities as well. Um, but yeah, that, that was part of the idea to sort of lay out what, what can we do to be helpful to communities here. Are there any lessons learned that you can share with the state as they look at ways to spend the VW settlement money on EV charging station grants? Well, I would just say um, it's complicated to think about all of the infrastructure and all of the considerations to take into account. So, you know, a lot of the discussions we had with the city of Eau Claire, for example, related to what other existing infrastructure is there, you know, what other projects have planned, you know, are there ways to take advantage of if there's going to be a construction project or there's going to be some work done in a particular area to help, um, you know, sort of take advantage of that construction opportunity and and maybe have a lower cost to doing that um, charging infrastructure work. So um, it really requires kind of peeling back a lot of layers of what's going on. It's not as easy as just kind of plopping a charging station, you know, on a map wherever you feel like it. There's actually a lot of kind of micro level decisions that need to be made to really optimize and make it um, the most cost effective. Thank you so much for joining me again, Deb. Thank you. My pleasure.